Soccer's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Hey there, friendo, and welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, founder of Poker Training Site EnhanceYourEdge.com, and I am absolutely thrilled to have you with me here today. From over-the-top TV tournament personalities to the nearly anonymous online grinders cashing out thousands of dollars a week to the leaders of poker media, we are going in search of insights and advice from the world's best poker players and ambassadors you'll hear words of wisdom and words of warning. You'll look at what keeps them coming back to the table and what they do in their downtime. You'll be able to examine how they think, how they deal with the ups, the downs, and almost endless repetition that comes with playing one hand after another for days, weeks, months, and years. Some of them have shaped the game. Some of them have grown the game. Some of them have changed the game. All of them have one thing in common. Each of them, in their own way, has achieved poker greatness. Today's guest on Chasing Poker Greatness is Lyle Bateman. For those who aren't familiar with his name, Lyle is a contributing editor at Poker News Canada. He began writing for the magazine after he was discovered by then-chief editor Lane Anderson. Lane saw a blog post that Lyle had written, which he'll tell you about during our conversation, asked him if he'd be interested in writing something for Poker News, and the rest, as they say, is history. Lyle has a long list of articles published going all the way back to 2013. He specializes in covering some of poker's biggest events. He's written on just about all of the world's top live and online tournaments. He's an avid online poker tournament player himself and has his own weekly poker stream on Twitch. Lyle is most certainly one of poker's greatest ambassadors. It's easy to see that he loves being around the game itself, as well as mingling with many of the world's greatest players. As we talk today, Lyle will share stories about what got him into poker in the first place, why he actually sold his first big tournament ticket that he ever won, and the strange way his life has gone from working in insufferable heat in Africa to working in insufferable cold in Canada. He speaks about why he prefers tournaments to cash game, what it's like to be part of the press covering live tournaments, and why he likes to have an audience watching when he plays himself. You'll also hear some interesting, insightful, and unique advice from someone who is intimately involved with the professional poker world, yet not a professional poker player himself. His unique viewpoint from somewhere in between inside and outside the game reveals a perspective that few people have. Lyle is a great guy, to talk to who's very easy to listen to as he moves from one story to another. He's also someone that you just might be talking with yourself one day as you get closer to your goals while chasing poker greatness. And so here's my conversation with poker news editor and poker industry ambassador, Lyle Bateman. Lyle, welcome to the show, my man. How you doing? Thank you very much. I'm doing good. How's, how about yourself? I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm wondering about global warming and when it's going to stop. I need I need cooler air. 
here in Atlanta. I, I agree with you, but if you come to Canada in the next, uh, you know, I don't know, three, four weeks, we're going to get as cool as you need to get, frankly, I think. <laughs> um, there, there is global warming, but unfortunately, it also means it goes the other way, and we get, we, we've been getting weird, weird, weird winters the last few years here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super interested in the cold either. I'm very particular. I just want perfect weather all the time. It's mm. that it's that that's not too much to ask for, right? No, I don't think it's I don't think it's too much to ask for. I'm I'm sort of the same way, although I must admit I I spent like 5 years in Africa in the 90s uh doing doing work in totally non-poker related stuff. Um and one of the things I hated about that was that it was always the same weather all the time. It was like it was like always 32 to 35 degrees Celsius and What is that would, in Fahrenheit? It, uh that's like uh, roughly 100, let's call it roughly 100. Woo! Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, that's hot. And yeah, and it was constantly, it was constantly that. Um, it wouldn't, it, it didn't matter what uh, what time of year it was. That it was, it was going to be, it was going to be that temperature. Um, so it was just, it was just really boring. I found. Um, that said, I'm not really thrilled when it gets down to minus forty here. I don't need that kind of excitement in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like a 70, 70 degrees Los Angeles, perfect weather all the time type of person. That that's the dream. So let's let's start this thing off. Okay. Could you, could you uh, tell the audience, you know, how did you get involved in Poker News Canada? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting story. I guess it ties all back to, to, to the whole writing thing. Um, I'd only really been in poker for a few years at that point, um, and I decided I was going to drive to Montreal for the WPT Montreal in 2014, I believe it was. What was your uh, capacity in poker for those two years? Um, well, at that point I was basically just a low stakes grinder, uh, online. I'd rarely played live at that point. I'd done a couple, um, I was working on a, a, an IT job where I traveled to the UK a lot. So I played some live tournaments over in the UK, um, including, uh, with, I don't know if you know, Neil Channing and black belt poker, but I played one of his live events, um, had some fun with that. Um, but I was really, I was really like a novice. I was, I was very much. Um, I didn't really have any involvement in the industry at the time, and I wasn't even really playing big games, right? I was playing like $100 buy-ins live and like $1, $2, $5 buy-ins on, on stars and things like that, right? So just kind of on a lark. Now, I'd actually been to WPT Montreal in 2013 um, as just sort of a, a trip I decided. I, I, I don't know. It was one of those things. I'd been in poker. I think I started poker in 2010. I started playing poker in 2010. So I'd only been in, in like three years. It was kind of one of those lark things where I thought it was better than I was. And I thought, well, you know, I can go play the WPPT, right? It's just, you know, it's just another tournament. Um, so I went out to Montreal in 2013 and I actually won myself a ticket to, to join the, um, uh, to play the main event. How, what was the buy-in to that main event? That one was 3000 nice. uh, for, for 2013. The day before the tournament, I had a change of heart and I decided I was going to sell the ticket and take the cash rather than playing in a tournament that was like 30 times the, the biggest buy-in I'd, I'd played prior to that. Right? What was your thoughts? What was your thoughts on when you wanted to sell? Uh, well, basically I came down initially when I first got the ticket, I'm like, great, I'm going to play a WPPT. And then I'm looking at this and I'm looking at this <laughs> ticket and it's like a face value of 3000. And that's more than I've ever won in a poker tournament in my entire life at this point. Right. And I'm thinking I can go play this, but I can easily sit down and halfway through day one, I'm out with zero, right? And this is worth this is worth bupkis. Right now, this is worth three grand to somebody out there who can actually take it and maybe go go deep in the WPT because they've they played this this size of event before. So I actually decided that I wasn't ready to play 
that size of event. And so I went out and I found somebody to buy it and I sold it for, it was a 3,300. So it's 3,000 plus 300 and I sold it for 3,000. So I gave them basically, they got a free, they got a free, uh, the free admin fee out of the, uh, out of the deal. So that was my 2013 experience. And I actually left pretty happy with the whole experience thinking, okay, you made, you, you won a big tournament. You just won the most you've ever won. Uh, in poker for for three grand, pretty happy with the experience. That was great. And I decided right then I was going to come back the following year. So when I made that decision, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And as the summer kind of rolled on, I'm thinking, I think it'd be a fun, sort of a fun thing if I do like an entire trip with it. And I leave uh, Madison Hat in my car and I drive all the way across Canada to Montreal, which is like three, 3,500 kilometers, I think it is one way. Oh man, we got to do all these What's a kilometer to a mile? Uh, sorry, like- kilometer. So that'd be that'd be like uh, twenty five hundred miles, probably. I would I would guess uh, five eighths. Five eighths of a mile equals one kilometer. So it's very far. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's, it's a, a it's, it's a hell of it's a drive. Yeah, let's let's say um, let's say Colorado to New York. Right. Okay. Uh, 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 for 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 an American audience, kind of kind of thing, or Montana. Montana to Boston kind of thing, Montana to Detroit kind of, kind of area. But I know those are different distances, but you know, that's the sort of, it's, it's across, a, across a large chunk of the country. Anyways. Right. It's um, super far. Yeah. And I planned uh, like a five day, I planned like a five day trip and it worked out that I got there basically on exactly the fifth day because as I'm driving through Northern Ontario in my little sports, in my little cheap sports car, it's blizzarding like crazy. This is early November. <laughs> Perfect um, weather I'm, for a cheap sports car. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm like barely making, I'm, I'm like barely making 30, 40 miles an hour down these, down these, uh, uh, back, back highways in, in Northern Ontario, uh, trying to get through. So I did finally make it and I played, I won another ticket that year as well. And I played the event and I busted on the first day and I wrote up a kind of a funny blog about the whole thing that the entire focus of the blog was, if you're going to go on the biggest poker trip of your life, you probably shouldn't start it with the worst decision of your life, which was to drive across Canada in November in a cheap sports car. Um, they have planes so, in Canada, right? Like yeah, this was- <laughs> yes. They, yeah, that was an option. Airports. Yeah, it, it was an option. And that's how I got there in 2013. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, I just decided, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to try this. Um, so anyways, Lane Anderson was the editor at the time. Uh, for Pokers Canada, and he happened to catch my blog and thought it was quite a funny thing. So he had me sort of beef it up a bit and write uh, write a lead article for Pokers Canada, and that was my that was my kind of foray into being a writer for Pokers Canada. So bad decisions pay off. I think bad decisions pay that, off. That's that's, that's the moral the mo- of the story. That's the moral of the story. Bad decisions <laughs> can pay off. Even in poker, you don't always have to make good 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 decisions for it to pay off. That's true. That's one of the saving graces of poker. Actually, it's a poker can be a very confusing mental thing, where you you do something and it works out, but it's absolutely the wrong thing, and then that wrong thing gets reinforced, and then you continue to do that, and then you get crushed over your life, and you wonder, what am I doing, um, without ever analyzing whether the initial decision was correct or not. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's huge with poker. So as a contributor, as an editor at Poker News Canada, could you tell, tell me what's one of the favorite stories that you've covered so far? There's quite a few, actually. I think one of the favorite pieces that I've written myself uh, was uh, back in, I guess it would probably be 2015 or so when the um, 
RFID tables were first starting to become big on the live stream tables and the live uh, um, live TV tables. Uh, there's a lot of questions about how that whole technology worked and about the security and things like that. So I actually s- sat down and did a fairly in-depth. Have come, I come from an IT background uh, anyways. I, I was a system, a system administrator, Unix system administrator for 30 years prior to, prior to coming into the poker world. So it was sort of that sort of tech area was was right down my line, and I did a pretty deep intro, um, uh, introspective of how the RFID works between the cards and the tables, and how it's pretty much impossible for it to be a security issue with the way the um, uh, low frequency RFID stuff works. It's it's like literally impossible for anybody else to, to 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 pick up cards and things. And that's of course what everybody was concerned about initially was that you've got this quote unquote cards that are broadcasting quote unquote their 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 values to the table quote unquote. So uh, that's one of my favorite ones that uh, one of my favorite ones that that I've done. I think one of the favorite ones that we covered in the magazine that actually wasn't mine but it was it was it was Lane's uh, the the former editors. Uh, he met he. Did one of the funniest pieces I've ever read on the uh, GTO application of throwing things on the 888 uh, online client. You know, you can like <laughs> throw the the cake and and, and things like that. And he had this like dead straight faced serious article about <laughs> about when is the good time to throw the cake and when's the good time to throw the throw the the, the and you know what does it mean when somebody drops drops all the chips on you? What does it mean when they throw the trophy at you? All this it was it was hilarious. Really well done. On um, the app that I play, PKC Poker, you can also throw things. And okay. There is actually, like, there are things you can learn from people who do throw things in, in a very serious way. Yes. Uh, I found that typically people tend to start throwing things and when you're taking your time, when they have a good hand, for the most part, they don't mess with you when, if they're bluffing, which is kind of parallel to live poker in that... Mm-hmm. Whenever somebody starts talking, whenever in, in a big pot, that typically means that they are relaxed, that they have a strong hand. Yes. Um, when they go stone faced, they're more likely to be bluffing. Of course, you know it, it varies from player to player. The more experienced guys can talk um, when they are bluffing, but uh, if you're playing recreational players and they start getting animated and talking, you, they you can be pretty sure that they have a good hand. Yeah, they probably got it. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're sitting there wondering, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I've tried almost all the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, I've come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find amazing success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What the heck was going on? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. 
So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed a level playing field to return to my crushing weights. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play poker somewhere. And I wanna be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no brainer. I love my community and I wanna put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to enhanceyouredge.com PKC and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com PKC. Best of luck and now on with the show. So how, do, how does one go from being this guy that's writing his, his article about making bad decisions to being a Poker News Canada contributor to now being the editor? How did that happen? Well, I spent, I mean, for, I don't know, for the last three or four years, I've been like a, a part-time co- contributor to the magazine doing mostly tech articles, uh, but I also do a lot of the live reporting. Uh, we do Canadian, uh, we do a lot of the Canadian live stops um, for like Deerfoot Poker. Um, we were just in Winnipeg for the Play Now Poker Championships uh, in early September that we covered. So I've been doing a lot of that as well. And Lane Anderson was the editor prior to prior to me up until May of this year. Um, and a few years back, he started a side business um, where he's basically running a social media marketing uh, company as well. And Poker News Canada was one of his clients initially at the start of the at the start of the business. But it has grown so much over the last few years that he was just unable to sort of keep up with um, that Poker News Canada. So he gave that up earlier this year. And as I was sort of the senior the senior contributor at that point, I just kind of assumed I just kind of assumed the role uh, afterwards. So very nice, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's it's actually quite good. I'm hoping that we can uh, I'm hoping we can expand the live coverage a little bit. Um, now uh, it's something that I'm going to be focusing on for at least at least for the next year or so, where I don't really plan to have anything else as my main as my main focus. So I'm hoping that we can sort of expand the live coverage. There's a few extra places I'd like to be able to get into and uh, work with. But yeah, I'm I'm excited about how we're gonna about how things are gonna move move forward. That's awesome, man. I'm excited for you. It's strange how life gives us these little opportunities based on just something kind of silly, right? Just a blog post. hundred percent. And I mean, if uh, I, I was thinking about this, my, my life kind of goes in weird, in weird patterns. I mean, I mentioned to you that I spent five years working in West Africa for uh, uh, before when we were chatting. And I've, I've got these periods in my life where if you sit down and, you know, at, at age 23, if you'd have told me that 10 years later, I was going to be sitting in Lagos, Nigeria, running a computer room uh, for a seismic processing company, I'd have thought that was the most absurd thing that you'd ever suggested to me. Yet, 10 years later, there I was sitting there. 
at 33, when I left Lagos, if you'd have told me that 10 years later, I'd have been working as a in a military training site uh, in Canada, helping to train British soldiers, I'd have told you you were insane. And that was the most absurd thing I'd ever heard in my life. And yet, <laughs> 10 years later, there I was sitting in, sitting in, in, in Medicine Hat, working for, the, uh, 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 working for a defense contractor and, and helping train Brit, uh, British soldiers uh, at, the, at, at the military base here. And once again, if you know, if in 2010 you'd have you'd have told me that 10 years from now you're 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 going to be you're going to be editing a poker magazine, I'd have told you that was the most absurd thing you you, you could have possibly said about me. So my life goes in really weird in really weird ways where uh, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 10 years' time because 10 years ago I had no way to predict that I would have been here. <laughs> And I think that's the sign of living a pretty good life. It's exciting. You have adventures. Um, no stagnation moving forward. Uh, I, uh, you know, that, that's something that I, I can appreciate. Uh, so what would you consider, uh, as a poker player, your, your greatest poker success? Hmm, my greatest poker success, uh, well, we talked about, the, we talked about the, the WPT tickets that I won. Yep. That's that's going to be that still actually is my most my most profit in that I've won from a poker tournament in raw dollar values. The most reason for that is that I play very low. I tend to play very low stakes uh, poker, whether it's online or um, in uh, in live settings. So I'd say right now, if if my probably my most proud achievement is the one that I'm actually working on at the moment in. November of last year, I started an account on. Um, well, I hope it's okay to talk about other other poker sites, but uh, I started uh, an account on Utabout, which is a very sort of fun recreational type uh, type site. And as a lark, I started playing some of the free rolls, uh, built up a tiny bankroll, and thought, "Hey, I can, I can actually free roll this." Fast forward to September of this year, and and right now, and I'm sitting on like a 230 euro bankroll that I've free rolled entirely from zero. Um, and I've sort of moved up from the sort of nano micro stakes into the kind of low middle one euro, two euro, five euro buy-ins at the time. And I'm, 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 I'm hoping to keep, I'm hoping to keep plowing up and I've been streaming. I've, I've been streaming that whole thing too. So at the moment, that's probably the thing I'm the most, I'm the most uh, proud of uh, being able to do. Um, that's awesome. Cause in, in the past, I've largely been a break even player. I've, I played poker as a, as entertainment, if that makes sense, it's a it's a game that I like to play, and it's an activity that I like to spend time doing. And especially when I was working at other things, I, if I was spending a hundred bucks a month on poker, and I wasn't winning anything back from that, I was okay with that because you know I would look at my friends and they'd spend a hundred bucks a month on golf, and not right. get anything it's back. It's a from hobby, them. right? It's sure. a it's it's, a, it's, it's a entertainment. Fun hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just. By the way, we're going to have to edit all that part out because sure. no, no talking about other sites. Gotcha. No, I'm, okay. just <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. I don't care. <laughs> I could care less. Um, so I don't play a ton of live tournaments. My, I mostly play online, and I play cash games when I do play live. Yeah. Um, but I did play a live tournament a few months ago in Cherokee. And one of the things that's changed uh, because – I don't play them often at all. Is all of the guys walking around with their iPads and the chip stacks and taking the pictures? Is there anything like as a player 
there's this like as a player maybe there's this intimidation factor looking at these guys are there anything like are they approachable like what is the you know is is there anything that players miss as far as the interaction with that that team specifically yeah and i'm actually i'm actually a good person to talk to about that because i've actually got both sides of the coin right i'm one of those right, guys that exactly. walks around with my ipad um at live tournaments i'm also one of the guys that sits at the fountain plays sometimes yeah i mean we're totally we're totally approachable and when we're doing live reporting our purpose is to be a fly on the wall generally speaking right so we don't want to interfere with the action in any way we don't want to bother a player while he's playing or while she's playing we don't want to be at all involved we want to be completely separated observing the action and then recording it so we can take it back and tell tell the world tell the world what happened um that said we love interacting with players when they want to interact with us and when it's not affecting play of the hands so i mean joking around with 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 players in between hands that's that's what makes that's what makes doing the job fun um and you know so so i would say yeah if you're if you're interested in if you're interested in getting to know us better come and come and chat with us um and you're probably you know it's as a player i know it can sometimes be intimidating i would i would say two sides from the player side if you don't mind attention feel free to come talk to us and, and and introduce yourself and you'll probably get slightly more coverage than you would have got otherwise. Okay. If you don't want attention, i.e. for some reason you don't want people to know you're there, you're just shy, you don't want, you don't want somebody watching you, um, pull me aside and quietly say, you know what, I'm not, I'm a little socially awkward. I'd rather you not, you know, I'd rather you not take my picture or whatever. 99% of us tournament reporters will honor that happily. And the 1% that doesn't uh, is going to get crapped on by his boss, most likely. <laughs> that is, see, that's awesome information and something that I, I've, I've always wondered. So basically, you know, if you want people to, if you want them to give more updates on your chip stacks on poker news, yep. go talk to them. Go and talk to them. if you want to be anonymous, then go talk to them. Like yeah. either way, <laughs> go talk to them. Like uh, start that relationship and that conversation. I think that's, that's uh, awesome information there. As a poker player, I know that uh, maybe you don't play as much poker as a lot of the guests on the show, but what would you say is the most high-impact thing you've done to improve your poker game? Uh, That's a tough question. Um... Or uh, a counter question is, what is your process for regularly improving your game look like? So... Regularly improving my game, I generally spend. I've got uh, one of the reasons. One of the reasons that I ch- chose to to be a streamer uh, is because I can get a community of people that I consider to be relatively good players playing roughly the same games that I'm playing. So it's not like we're you know it's not like we're in different in different worlds, um, and we can we can talk out hands together to sort of figure out after the fact was that the right move was that the wrong move is is you know uh, what's the situational what's the situational factors here to to maybe make it a good move here but not a good move in other spots um uh you know those sorts of things so that's probably my main focus is uh, while i'm streaming and after streaming getting together with uh, a couple sp- specifically a couple of guys uh, on my stream and just chatting about 
about how we think things went. And we chat about their hands and my hands and, you know, all of it. So it's, and I think that's probably a common answer from a lot of poker players. You've got a group of friends that you trust their opinion on poker and you all try to improve together by analyzing, uh, by analyzing the hands. I would say, I would say it's a common, it's a common way. It's how, you know, I grew as a poker player in my, in my early days, finding a community, finding that tribe that loves poker as much as you that uh, can just talk about poker for 12 hours straight and never get sick of it and loves the strategy aspect. Those kind of people are gold as long as they are actively improving. <laughs> and they're yeah. not just talking about poker and they're, they have a good thought processes because on the flip side, you get somebody in there that has bad thought processes and is not actively improving. The information, the feedback that they give is not gonna be that valuable and it can actually hurt you more than it helps. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally buy, I can totally buy that. I've actually been a part of what I'm, uh, I've been sort of cultivating a couple of relationships as well with uh, some of the streamers uh, and the masters with Unibet since I've been playing there so much, and I've been getting a ton of sort of assistance from uh, guys like Ian Simpson and Dario Kearney, which I'm just totally grateful for because I'm sort of, I sort of feel like I'm in a spot where. Guys like that shouldn't even really want to talk to me about poker. Uh, uh, because no. well, so here here it goes. So here, here's the other side of the, the, <laughs> the coin, right? I'm a I'm a poker coach and I have my community and I talk to people about cards all the time. And I'm a cash game player and I've mm-hmm. been that for the last 15 years. It's my sole source of income. It's what I do. And from a poker perspective, poker can be solitary. And from a cash game player's perspective, what's my goal? Like, what's my goal in life as a cash game player? It is to take other people's money, period, right? Yeah. Um, it's cutthroat. It's ruthless. And as a human being, I'm not super cutthroat and ruthless, like outside of the poker table. So right. that predatory element um, has worn on me. And I found that I get, uh, I just, I get such fulfillment giving back and talking to people, no matter what stakes they're playing. When they ask me questions, I want to answer. I want to help them. I see a younger version of myself trying to come up into the poker world. So I'm, I'm grateful for giving, giving my time back to those people. So look at it that way, that, um, those people talking to you, that that's their fulfillment and, um, that's their blessing that they're giving to you. And I think it's a win-win for everybody involved. A hundred percent. And I agree with that. And I, I just, I'm just super grateful that, that, um, guys like that have been taking an interest in, 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 in what I'm doing. So. Yeah, I would say that the poker world in general is way more generous than it gets credit for. Uh, I agree 100% with that. I, I know the uh, I know some of the charity stuff that goes on behind the scenes that nobody ever really talks about. Um, but there's like huge amounts of money that that, that that just get get one out of the poker world and then just get handed over to charity uh, in various ways, right? Massive, massive yeah. amounts of money. What would you say is your biggest failure in your poker career? What's a time where maybe you hit rock bottom or you felt... Miserable. Let's let's get in the misery business for a minute. Okay, I burned myself out. Um, probably the 2015-2016 time frame. I started doing a stream called Anything But Hold'em, where I was doing mixed game uh, mixed game streamings. Basically, uh, <laughs> um, everybody else was doing hold'em. Right there, there was a whole bunch of people. It was you know uh, Jamie, um, Jason Somerville, Jamie Staples. All those guys were doing tons of hold'em streams at the time, and I thought, well, nobody's really doing anything else, so. So I was doing st- uh, studs and raz and badoogie and all, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Um, and I was having a great time with it. And I did two seasons of, of stuff, probably 
60 or 70 episodes over those two seasons. And I just burnt myself out like crazy doing it. What did you feel? What, what were your thoughts? Um, well, in part, it was because I was doing it while I was also working full-time uh, at the military base doing, doing, doing that training. So I'd basically come home for a full shift and I'd sit down and I'd do five or six hours or, or seven hours of streaming. And I'd turn the stream off, I'd go to bed, I'd wake up, I'd do the whole thing. You know, I'd do the whole thing again. And at, at a certain point, I just got to it where I was, I just couldn't look at the poker table again. I just couldn't look at the stream. I couldn't look at the poker table. And I just kind of walked away from, just kind of walked away from it. Um, and I sort of feel bad about the fact that I sort of walked away from it because it was actually developing something that, uh, that I quite enjoyed. But I was just at a point where I was super exhausted in my real world. And I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't keep up both things that I was doing and make both of them worthwhile. So one of them had to give and it was the, it was the stream that ended up, that ended up giving, but I do regret uh, stopping that and not coming back to streaming for like three or four years. And I think that's very natural, normal feelings. I'm, I experienced that myself now that uh, I'm fully invested into growing in your edge and I have my team and, I'm doing these podcast episodes and I'm creating three pieces of content on Instagram and YouTube videos and a stream three days a week and managing, uh, you know, 10 people and writing articles and have all these other projects that I'm also juggling, um, ad creation and just all these things that when, uh, a few months ago before I started, uh, being fully involved in all this, I can wake, I wake up in the morning, my whole day is planned around playing cards. I play my five hours. I go to the gym, I meditate, I take care of myself, all these things. And now uh, the thought of playing five hours a day is a little, it's not a good thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something, it's not something that I, I look forward to or have tons of motivation to do. And, you know, the reality is in a poker sense, this is the reality. Poker is very mentally exhausting. It's very mentally draining. It requires a great commitment. Um, you have to take care of yourself mentally and physically. And if you're doing it at the end of a long day, if you're doing it when you're tired, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wear you down. You'll get burnt out. I think that's just a normal emotional response because of how mentally taxing the game is. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that 100%. And I would add to that that streaming poker is – about twice as mentally challenging as just playing, Absolutely. As, as just playing poker. People don't realize how tough it is to, to actually be a streamer and play at the same time. <laughs> talking is talking is exhausting. You, you know, poker is a game of data collection, analysis, um, adjustments. And when I play, I play my four tables and I go for about two and a half hours uh, fully involved and then I take a break. Um, I go to the gym, I do something, then I come back and finish it. But afterwards... I feel my like my brain is mush, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I just need to sit on the couch. I need to watch an episode of some TV show and just completely um, get away from from poker for a number of hours. And when you're streaming, not only are you doing all that, you're also interacting with the audience. You're uh, verbalizing your thought processes. You're typing. It's just an added layer of things that you have to do on top of the all the other things. So yeah, when I'm when I'm streaming, I mean, it's tough. It's doubly tough than, than just playing cards. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, 100%. And I think that's part of what what uh, what burnt me out before. And I'm trying to mitigate that this time by being a little bit more cautious about how long I'm on. And Well, and also the fact that I'm sort of doing it as my main 
I mean, granted, I'm working the job as Poker News uh, Canada editor as well, but it's all poker related. So it's pretty easy to kind of all fit it in without one side stressing the other side, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, much easier than it was back in the day when I was when I was working uh, working on the military base. So. I believe that, sir. I believe that 100%. <laughs> um, what is, uh, what's some common poker advice you hear given that you completely disagree with? So one of the things, I'm, a, I'm pretty much exclusively a tournament player. I dabble a tiny, tiny, tiny bit in cash, but I'm almost entirely a tournament player. And I think one of the, one of the things that I find at least at the levels that I play is that the current poker theory tends to be too willing to get their chips in the middle in a tournament sense. The reason I say that is because in a tournament sense, you, um, and of course, uh, let's, let's clarify that I'm talking about tournaments in the purest sense, i.e. a freeze out, freeze out event where you, where you're one and done basically. So, so you're, not a, you're, not a re-entry, yeah, or not a re-entry. you can't, you can't rebuy. You can't, you know, you can't restack your chips. You're you've got your chips and that's what you've got. Those, the, the last chip in your stack is super valuable and it's super valuable from the moment you sit down uh, at that table in my mind. And I tend to think that uh, people are too willing in tournament situations to put that last chip on the line. I will counter that, however, by also saying that I fully understand. I fully admit that I'm probably far too cautious about putting that last chip in the middle. <laughs> so it goes both ways. Well, I would say in a tournament setting, it, it's probably better to be far more cautious than the other way. Far yeah. too willing to just get the money in, especially when you know you can't just say chips and somebody brings you you know throw some hundreds at them and they bring you some more money, right? Yeah. But I also think that poker, uh, poker tournament is po- uh, poker tournament play is as much a bankroll management game as it is a card game, and I, I mean that in the sense that if you're playing, if you're playing at the levels that you should be playing at based on the bankroll that you have, um, you'll almost never go broke playing tournament poker because you will have enough buy-ins to withstand the the downswings that will then eventually turn around and give you the, give you the upswings to, to come back. Now, obviously that's, you know, obviously statistics can, can kick you in the butt sometimes. And, and, you know, you might, you might go through your hundred buy-ins or your 200 buy-ins or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something where I, so there is, when you look at it in a long-term, in a long-term way, it actually is more similar to cash than, many people think because even when i do get my last chip in and it doesn't work out for me i know that that's just one iteration over a thousand iterations of that particular tournament that i'm going to potentially play over the next two or three years right yeah um so it still is there still is that long-term uh rebuy kind of option it's just that the rebuys the the the, the, the next day in, in a new <laughs> tournament right, <laughs> right exactly um and the variance, the variance in tournaments is pretty massive. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a that's a major, major difference in tournament and cash. And one of the there are multiple reasons why I've 
I've migrated more towards cash games, but I enjoy quitting when I want to as well. Yeah. I know that uh, I'm a very schedule oriented person with a regimented lifestyle and I'm, you know, I'm an, I'm an old man. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting older, right? I remember the days when I would sit at the, the live poker table and always be the youngest kid at the table. And now, unfortunately, I've sat at some tables and been the oldest player at the table, uh, which I guess just has a tendency to happen over time. But um, I'm in bed by 10 p.m. I wake up early, uh, do my stuff, get ready, get prepared. In a live tournament, I can't just leave at 9:30 and let myself blind out until the day ends i, I i'm yeah. forced to play until 12 or 1 a.m and then sleep horrible and uh you know not be so good the next day so i've, I've kind of avoided tournaments that's that's one of the reasons there are multiple reasons but um yeah, I mean that anyway. makes good sense, uh, and and the the that aspect is does make tournament play does make tournament play difficult. You sort of have to manage your time uh, a little bit better um, from that perspective. I think the probably for me the reason that I focused on tournaments is um, I like the extra added I like the added strategy of the blind levels and all of that changing, so that the value of your stack is constantly changing over time. And I like that added. I like that added thought process uh, to go into it. I, I find I find when I have played cash, it doesn't take me long to just sort of lose my mind to the boredom, if that makes sense, because it never changes. It's always it's always one two. It's always you know one dollar small blind, two dollar big blind. Let's you know let's raise to five. Let's raise to and it 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 just becomes so routine. And oh, I find myself playing big enough. Well, <laughs> probably, but I find <laughs> myself you, uh, uh, you in a 10 and a quarter game. <laughs> I find myself uh, losing. I, I find myself making robotic plays that are not necessarily the best play at the time, simply because I've just sort of gotten into the rhythm of the game. Whereas in a, in a tournament setting, I'm constantly having to kind of reassess where I'm, where my stack is at, where I, where I'm at um, because it's always changing. Right. It's a continual evolving problem versus uh or puzzle yeah. that you need to solve it's one of the reasons cash game it's one of the reasons why i love the mixed games so much uh like the high low uh split pot games were the ones that i love the most uh stud eight uh oh eight uh games like that it's because there's so much going on in the hands to um keep your brain Stimulate. active yeah yeah i feel that and i i haven't varied you know i've played i've played some plo I haven't varied my game selection over time as much as I probably should have, but I always enjoy playing PLO. I enjoy playing the other games because it's new. It's something, it's different, it's fresh, it's new. Yeah. So uh, should invest more time playing those mixed games, even just for fun, not as like an ultra competitive thing. Don't have to play ultra high stakes. If you could, uh, you know, imagine there's a, a player out there who's 24, 25 years old, who's excited about poker, wants to give it a shot, What's some wisdom that you could give them in a sit-down conversation? Play within your means. Uh, bankroll management is as much a, is 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 probably the most important part of being a good poker player. You can there's so many stories of of players that are amazing players and just end up broke because they can't manage they can't manage their money. Uh, I mean, Stu Unger would obviously be one of the one of the one of the clearest examples of, of both of those, you know, of, of, of both the high and the low. Uh, but he's, he's, he's by no means the only example in the poker world. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, uh, try to, try to manage, try to manage your time. Uh, don't, 
try not to buy into the myth of you got to go broke three or four times before you can make it in poker. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think you can, I think you can manage what you have. So yeah, I think that would be my advice. Uh, don't, don't go crazy. Don't go DJ. Uh, go uh, uh, treat poker like a business. Uh, treat it like, treat it like you've got uh, an investment and you're investing that money in a return that you're fairly confident in. And even furthering your education as well. Don't be afraid to invest in yourself. Oh, um, 100%. As far as learn, learning and growing. I think that's something that people don't do enough of. They don't invest in, into themselves and their own knowledge and their own growth. Because look, the thing is, you're trying to make it as a poker pro. There are people that have blazed the path that, are, that have a model that they can show you that can help you out on your journey and save you lots of time and energy and frustration. So don't shy away from that. Um, because that those lessons, that wisdom is very valuable. Even the relationships you get with those guys uh, is, is extremely valuable. So as it relates to poker reading materials, if you could, if you could gift these up-and-coming poker players who are searching for greatness a book, what book would you choose and why? So one of the first books I read in poker was Doyle Brunson and the Super System. Um, although I think it was actually technically Super System 2. Uh, and I will start this off by saying that book is hopelessly out of date and you probably should not read it from the perspective of I'm going to learn how to play good poker from reading this book. I would still recommend it as one of the first books somebody reads as a poker player because it does give you a very general idea of how to play good poker. None of the specifics work anymore because the, the game has moved well beyond where, where Super System was. But when he talks about hand selection, don't listen to his specific advice about hand selection. Listen to his general advice about hand selection, right? Um, what do you mean by that? Well, because the, the, one of the, I, I think one of the, for me anyways, one of the most difficult concepts early in poker to get over was the idea that I could have a strong hand without it being a pair or an ace or, you know, uh, these sorts of things that, that, um, relative strength versus actual strength, relative strength versus actual strength. Uh, the strength of position, uh, positional, positionally wise, how the strength of your hand varies, um, as as how you can do it. And in the, in the original super system stuff, uh, Brunson talks a lot about that. Now he's going to be using examples of, of hands that we've sort of moved beyond, uh, now because it's, you know, it's, it, 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 it's an older style of play, but the way he talks about thinking about things like suited connectors and, um, gap hands and suited hands and things like that are, I think very valuable for a brand new player to get. And the way he explained it for me anyways, was very easily easy to understand. Um, so I actually recommend, actually recommend that as an early book. I've lately been getting a lot of, um, uh, help out of, um, a very recent one, actually Darrell Kearney's, uh, poker satellite strategy, which is, uh, for, for satellite stuff. He's, I think he's one of the currently one of the games experts on ICM and those sorts of really tight, really tight spots. Um, he's one of the game's best short stack players as well at the moment, um, both of which are key aspects of satellite play. So I think he's actually one of the best people in the world right now to write that book. And it's an excellent book. So, Awesome. That'll be in the show notes for those of you all um, 
listening that want to want to check out these books, both books will be in the show notes on the show page. That also gives you a nice uh, um, old school, new school, uh, uh, old school, dichotomy new school. As well. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I started out reading Super System as well, and uh, it, I, I tell everybody, I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of hand charts. I'm not a massive fan of preflop starting hands uh, set in stone because situations always change. There's different archetypes at the table that affect those ranges. They're a baseline strategy that you should always be willing to deviate from mm-hmm. based on the available information that you have. So I'm kind of anti-hand charts, but I do see the utility in them, especially for folks that are just starting to play. But don't treat them as like the gospel, right? right. Um, deviate based on information, based on the villains that you're, you're actually playing against. Because that's how you maximize win rate. That's how you maximize your hourly rate and become the best player that you're capable of. Yeah. Um, Whether you're playing cash or tournaments, poker is about exploiting the other people at the table that you're sitting with. That's that's always going to be the way. The, the, the way exactly. You're if you if your button range is um, say the top forty percent of hands, and that's what you say, okay, I'm going to raise the button with my top forty percent of hands, and the blinds are two seventy year old men that are super overly tight, you should be raising 100% of your button range, like exactly. 100% without even looking at your cards to exploit the fact that they're folding too much. If villains are three betting way too much, then maybe you have to tighten up your opening range, or maybe you take it to the next step and you start four betting um, versus three bets. But uh, always use the players, um, use that information to your advantage. Don't just stick to a script and play based on that because the results are not going to be so great. When you began your poker journey, what's something that you used to strongly believe that you've recently changed your mind and what led to that change? When I started playing poker, I was very much of the opinion that you should always get your money in with the best hand. And it actually took me way longer than it should have to figure out that that if you always get your money in with the best hand, you're not bluffing enough and you're giving away way too much money at the table. If you're not if you're not getting called and looking like an idiot from time to time, you're not bluffing nearly enough. Um, yeah, you it's don't just fold part- the best hand. You're not folding often enough. Exactly. If sometimes you know if 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 sometimes he doesn't push you off the best hand, you're not thinking properly enough about the hands uh so that's probably one of the one of the biggest things where it used to be it would be i would be in a situation where i would never want to put my money in in a spot where i wasn't 95 percent certain i was i was i was best i now see the value of check raise shoving in certain spots when i know i don't have the winning hand uh because it can be the winning hand when he folds <laughs> And I can say that from personal experience, when I hear overhear guys talk about, ah, I've gotten my money in good every single time today. I never get my money in bad, blah, 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 blah. Those guys are always short stacked. Yes. Always. Yeah. They always have seven big blinds. And they're usually um, complaining about the, their, their bad beat before the bubble. Happens. Exactly. Like it's, uh, it, it just, I see it over and over and over again. And there's a reason for that. They're not in there mixing it up. They're not taking risks like they should be and realizing their fold equity because actual equity is one thing and fold equity is a whole nother thing that's absolutely real and should be thought about more. It's more intangible. It's not as concrete as actual raw equity, but you ought to be putting a lot of energy and effort into thinking about fold equity and how to maximize the pressure that you put on people. 
Yeah. No, I 100% um, agree with that. What is a, what's a project that you're currently working on that's near and dear to your heart? It doesn't 100% have to be poker related, just something that means matters to you. The stream I was talking about earlier, actually, this, uh, this new Unibet, uh, Unibet free roll stream that uh, I'm doing, um, I call it the mothership and we're, I'm, I'm building a fairly, it's a small community at the moment. We don't have a ton of, we don't have a ton of people that come out on a regular basis. Um, looking at like about a dozen regular, regular viewers at the moment, but I'm actually more concerned with, uh, quality than I am with, with quantity, uh, in this. And I'm, 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 what I want is to build a, a, a community of really committed people that are all friends and we're, they're, they're not coming out to watch me as a celebrity streamer they're, they're we're, we're all coming together in a place and i just happen to be the guy sitting in front of the camera playing the playing the poker but but we're all just friends coming together and hanging out uh hanging out together one of the things i love about about that is that we we also tend to play games together right we'll we'll jump into the same tournaments <laughs> together we'll play sit and goes together and and it's just it, it, it's just a ton of fun to be uh, chatting and chat and playing on the tables at the same time um, and I really, it's really near and dear to my heart, not so much from the perspective that I ever think I'm going to be, I'm going to turn it into this massive, massive poker stream, but it's near and dear to my heart because it's a group of friends that are very, that we're all very close and we're all having a, having a really good time with our poker journey. So, so that matters, I think. And that is way more important than uh, reaching for fame and that sort of thing. You know, relationships, your tribe, these people matter at the end of the day, they matter more than anything else. So kudos and best of luck on your stream going. I know that you have an emotional reason driving that goal. So I have no doubt that uh, you'll be successful in the way that you wish to be successful regarding your stream. I appreciate that. At the end of the day, in 10 years, when you're doing God knows what and God knows where, maybe you're not involved with poker anymore. What would you like your, your poker legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered? Um, I like to be remembered as somebody who did good work as a writer and as a media person in poker, but also as somebody who was able to help some people along, uh, get, get a start either in the media or in poker itself, um, helping them with the poker strategy, helping them with writing, helping them with, with just getting involved. I like to be able to help people. I like to be able to bring, bring people up. I like to be able to give people a chance and an opportunity. So if I've done that and if I've made somebody else successful, then I will consider myself a success, I think. Lyle, you're the man. I love that. And anybody that wants to get involved in poker media, I give you absolute permission to bombard Lyle's inbox. And uh... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Come and chat with me. Come and chat with me. Finally, to, uh, to end, close out the show, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the interwebs? Uh, ca.pokernews.com is our Poker News Canada site. That's going to be the uh, it's going to be the main uh, main focus for uh, that side of things. Um, and I would say Elron six nine zero zero. That is E L R O N six nine zero zero on Twitter. Uh, will get you pretty much access to everything else. Uh, I'm Elron sixty six on Twitch. If you want to go there as well for my for my stream, Lyle Bateman on Facebook. Awesome. All that will be in the show notes as well. Cool. Sir, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor having this conversation with you. I enjoyed it a ton, and uh, let's try to do it again in the coming years. Sounds, sounds like fun. It's been great to meet you and great to chat with you, and uh, I've had a lot of fun myself, so thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I also wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new platform where the games are safe and secure and the action is amazing, head to enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.